The reading this morning is taken from Luke, chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. And it can be found on page 1062 of the Church Bibles. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Diana. I'll just find myself a spare stand. So good morning, everyone. I hope you're excited about this this new start for St. Paul's. It's it's good, isn't it? I really like it. Isn't it fun? Yeah, so I'm really glad uh, that we're in this situation that we're in. Um, But of course, new starts are all uh, very lovely, but they sometimes are preceded by sad endings, aren't they? I think we all know that. And um, I had one of those of sorts uh, myself yesterday. As I may have mentioned once or twice per service, um, I'm a West Ham supporter. And uh, yesterday... I had what was almost certainly my last visit to Upton Park, a place where I have known uh, many uh, memorable moments and much misery. And uh, (laughs) they were playing uh, one of our many bogey teams, uh, who we never, ever beat, Arsenal. And um, I I bumped into Abby Patterson, actually, at Waterloo on the way, and uh, she's an Arsenal fan, so... uh, We chatted about the game and then wished each other every disappointment as we left. (laughs) Uh, Made my way to the ground and uh, met up with my brother, my cousin and my cousin's husband. And uh, and then the match uh, started. 20 minutes in, it had a very familiar feel. Arsenal went two up and I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. Three or four nil. Why have we paid what was a large amount of money to get to this game? Um, And then, two minutes before half-time, Andy Carroll scored. Then a minute later, he scored again. And then five minutes after the half-time, he scored again. And uh, the crowd just could not believe it. This transformation was absolutely remarkable. And West Ham this season are unbeaten against Arsenal, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool and Chelsea. And even Everton, their biggest bogey team of all. Impressive? 
Yes, nothing to do with today's sermon, of course, obviously, but I wanted you to share my joy. It did finish three all, by the way, because it never goes completely to plan with West Ham. But today, we're looking at a transformation far more remarkable than West Ham's or even Leicester's. We are looking at a transformation of this bedraggled, uh, directionless, demoralized group of uneducated, relatively untalented disciples hiding away in a room in Jerusalem. And they turned into the people who would create a world religion that is hundreds of millions of people, if not more, of which we're part, and it touches every part of the world. Isn't that astonishing? Absolutely. So today, what we're looking at is how did it happen? And what does that mean for us? Okay, so I think that's a great thing to be looking at. As Russ has said, we're, we're also finishing Luke and Luke's, uh, the series in Luke, First Love, which we did last term. But we're very much opening up the new term and all that we want to do to walk in the power that God gave the early church and still offers us today. This term, that's what it's all going to be about. So it's going to be an exciting term. Let's just pray now uh, that God would get us ready for it. It would really get us excited about it um, and hopefully bring this passage alive as well. Father God, we thank you for new beginnings. But we thank you that when you call us to something, you do not leave us alone. You do not leave us unprepared. You don't leave us just to get on with it. You go before us. You promise to be with us. And in fact, you do it all. Lord, it is such a privilege, it's such a joy to serve a God of such power of such love, who knows everything and can do anything he wants. Lord, today, would you excite us about the term to come? And most of all, Lord, would you inspire us that we, as individuals and as a church, can do great things through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's um, start, though, by just sort of unpacking uh, the uh, story as we find it. Verse 36, and it's the last account that Luke gives of the resurrection appearances. Um, So it's finishing our Easter season. But the scene, I need to tell you, um, is one really of confusion and chaos. Um, Let's just try and picture it. The 11 remaining disciples... And their friends and family are staying in a rented Jerusalem house. It's Sunday evening. Jesus has been crucified two days earlier. And the sun is beginning to set. It's a time when they would normally be going to bed, getting ready for the uh, early morning the next day. But in this case, in this house, at this time, confusion and excitement reigns. It's been a very strange day. It started with the arrival of some very excited women, the two Marys, Joanna and two others. They told what seemed to be a ridiculous story of Jesus' tomb being empty. And when they refused to shut up about it, they actually asked them to leave the building. They couldn't bear it anymore. But Peter ran off to try and find out more. And he came back a little bit later and claimed that the tomb was empty and that he had met the risen Christ And slowly over the next few hours, the rest of the disciples started to believe, could this be true? Is this really what has happened? And then Cleopas and his friend, they came back, having met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. You heard about that last week, didn't you? And everyone was thinking, what's going on? So astonishing. 
so exciting. And there they are discussing these things when suddenly Jesus himself appears. But the welcome for him isn't exactly overwhelming, is it? No fireworks, party poppers, champagne, or even a round of applause, or he's a jolly good fellow. Rather, Jesus is greeted by a household full of terrified men and women, shaking with fear. Yet, to be fair, that might be because of the circumstances of his arrival, of course. He he didn't actually knock on the door, he didn't knock on the window. He didn't even come through the door or the window, he just appeared. It must have been a massive shock. And so, although Jesus had anticipated their shock and his fine Anglican greeting, please be with you, obviously reflected that. Uh, That wasn't enough, was it? And uh, their fearful reaction was all too evident. And he said, why are you troubled? Why did doubts rise in your minds? And so he then sets about helping to dispel their doubts and helping them to see that actually all was well. This was as it was meant to be. He does it first by saying, look at me. Look at my hands and my feet. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So he wasn't a ghost, wasn't an apparition, wasn't a hallucination because they touched him. Yet there was still doubt. I think they were wondering, is this really Jesus himself? Is this the man that died on the cross? So that's where he says, see the holes in my hands, the holes in my feet. This is why Jesus did die and did rise again. He wasn't replaced on the cross like the Muslims claim. Jesus rose to life. And so by verse 41, they still don't believe, but this time for a different reason, because of joy and amazement. In other words, it was just too good to be true. They're effectively paralyzed by news so wonderful they can't bring themselves to believe it. Now, was Jesus getting slightly exasperated with them at this point? I don't know. Perhaps their reaction is understandable. But he's got one more bit of physical evidence to give them. He eats some food, doesn't he? He asks for some dinner. He has that. And then the final element that I think completely steals the disciples' confusion and unease is he explains to them how it was actually all predicted by him, by the Old Testament, that God would send a a very special king who would suffer and die and rise again. And that's where he opened the scriptures to them. And they finally realized, yes, this was what was meant to happen. And Jesus' words then are tremendously reassuring, but then tremendously challenging. Let me read them to you. Verse 46, he said that the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So far, so good. And then in verse 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That must have been a shock as well, to all nations. How? Surely the disciples are wondering that. How on earth was this going to happen? And the answer Jesus gives, you are witnesses of these things. You're the witnesses. It was the disciples who would be conveying the message, starting in the very city that they were in at that time, Jerusalem. Now, I don't know how hard an idea this must have been for them to get their head round. Did their mind flash back immediately to where Jesus had sent out the 12 and then sent out the 72 and they'd been sent out to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick, cast out demons? Did they think back to that and think, oh yeah, that's what we were being prepared for? I don't know. I really don't know. Did it all make total sense straight away? Probably not. But one thing surely they did know, 
was that they could now take Jesus' words of prediction seriously. Because if the Old Testament, and if Jesus had been right that he would die and rise again, well then surely they must also be right about the next stage too. And many Old Testament passages, Isaiah 49 is just one example, spoke ahead to a time when all of the Gentile nations, that is all the other non-Jewish nations, would also come to God and be saved. And that the suffering servant, the everlasting king, Jesus himself, would be the means by which that would happen. Suddenly, this new era where instead of everyone coming to Jerusalem as pilgrims, the people of God would go out to the whole world. Suddenly, this era was going to start. It must have been the most incredibly exciting and astonishing thing to hear. Yet, there must have been one nagging question, mustn't there? One nagging question. How on earth Was this going to happen? How could this little bunch of impoverished, uneducated, untalented Galilean men possibly do all this? How could they take the gospel to all nations? Even in their generation, as far as Italy and even maybe Spain and India in the east. How on earth could they do that? Well, the answer came in verse 49. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever had one of those nightmares where you, um, you know, you you end up traveling to work um, and then you you come out of the station, you walk to your office, you greet everyone in the lift, the reception, uh, you go past everyone to your desk, you sit down and you suddenly remember you haven't got any trousers on. Has anyone had that nightmare? Yeah, I mean, I haven't. I just want, thought it might be interesting to see if any, any of you had. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can identify with nightmares of that sort. Uh, they reflect an anxiety, don't they? Uh, an insecurity. And actually, the concept of clothes isn't one we normally associate with the Holy Spirit, but it's not unprecedented in Scripture. And actually, if we know from phrases, don't we, like going naked into the conference chamber or, the, or, the, you know, um, or into a, a war situation... Um, that being naked actually is saying something, is that we need clothes. And if you go into that conference chamber naked, it means basically that you're unprepared. You are woefully, inadequately uh, resourced, lacking the equipment that you need. So when Jesus uses this verb to be clothed, he's saying that you need this in order to survive. You need this in order to be able to do what I'm calling you to do. In other words, it's as obligatory and essential as us wearing clothes during the day. We have to have it. You have to be clothed with power from on high. That is what you need. And that is what you need to wait for. So what is Jesus doing? He's effectively acknowledging uh, the implausibility of what he is predicting. It would be, in their own strength, absolutely operation-certain failure. They'd be as ill-equipped as David going into battle with Goliath. Yet, of course, that story had a rather unexpected ending, didn't it? David, that little boy, destroying this giant Goliath. How did he do it? 
by being particularly cunning with uh, his sling and his stone? Well, not really. He may have been pretty good at it. He did it through the power of God. God made it happen. And in the same way, this incredible prediction, which is essentially Jesus unveiling the future of mankind and human history, indeed the whole of the history of the universe, is going to happen through the power of God as well. There's no other way. And yet the thing is, it wasn't just going to happen in their generation. This Pentecost era that would come in Acts 2, and we'll celebrate that in five weeks' time, would then continue for the rest of human history, which means, folks, it includes us as well. Do you believe that? We are in the Pentecost era. Deeply, deeply challenging, because it means these predictions also apply to us. Now, this was not the first the disciples had heard about it. John 14 to 16 tells us a a very long bit of teaching that Jesus gives them in the upper room um, uh, just before he died. We know in Luke as well, uh, there were several instances. Here's a good one. Uh, Luke chapter 12, Jesus said this, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you would defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And Jesus, in many other places, basically says, ask for the Spirit and it will be given to you. Whenever you need help, it will be given to you. I will prepare the way through the Spirit. The Spirit will tell you what to say. The Spirit will remind you what I have said. And the Spirit will do miraculous things through you. And the purpose and the end result is that God's kingdom now is not just going to be you guys and some of our hangers-on. It's going to be a global community that is going to transform the world. Are you up for it? They were up for it. Most of them died for it. But are we up for it? That is the challenge of this passage for us today. What is our call? Do we have a part to play in the spread of the gospel to all nations in our generation? Well, maybe it's easy to think not, but just take a moment to consider the remarkable spread of the gospel that is still going on in the world today. Are you aware of the growth of Christianity in places like China, Korea, Africa, South America, parts of North Africa, other parts of Asia? Are you aware that the Christian community is growing massively? Now, what are the common features of where it's growing? And this applies to this country as well. It's where people bravely and boldly trust in the Holy Spirit to go before them, to prepare the ground for them, to give them the words to say, and to lead them to the people who are open, to prepare the harvest and enable them to reap it. Do you believe that? Absolutely. Actually, each of our lives, hopefully, is an example of that happening. Or if it isn't, maybe we know someone who we would say, yes, they've had that experience. The Holy Spirit still does incredible things. And the challenge for us in England, where we've got two, almost two uh, millennium of history as a Christian country, is actually to remember that this isn't just about continuing with a tradition. It's about living with something that's alive and powerful and incredibly awesome. <laughs> in our generation today. And what God is looking for is people who are willing to step out, trust in that power, 
And not just do things like they've always been done, but take risks, believing that the Holy Spirit goes with us. That's what he's calling us to. So he will prepare the ground. He will lead us to people in our community, in our family, in our church, in our school gate, wherever it is, in our company, among our neighbours, who are open. He will give us the words to say. He will actually unlock situations in terms of being able to share the gospel, show God's love, show compassion, blow people's mind by the level of care and love that they show to them, if we trust him. And if we believe that every day is a day where a divine encounter can occur, divine coincidences where God makes things happen that otherwise wouldn't have happened. Do you believe that? That is the power of the Holy Spirit today. And that is us being faithful to the call that God gave them. It wasn't just for them. They were the prototypes. They were the first fruits. They were the ground setters. But we are continuing that tradition. And if we want the kingdom to grow in our communities, in our families, then we need to step out like they did. Not just going through the motions, but believing every day is a day when God supernaturally could do something remarkable through me. If I'm listening to him, if I've prayed for it, if I'm boldly responding to it, and if I'm trusting his spirit to give me the words and the manner and the insight and the love that I need. That's what God's calling us to. So, If that's where we're trying to get to as a church, what do we need to do? Well, what we're planning to do for the next two terms, uh, sorry, the next two parts of the term, is really to try and unlock that power that is available for us. We're going to spend the first half of the term looking at prayer, because of course prayer is vital. If we want to see God work, we need to pray, and we need to pray hard, we need to pray in different ways, and we need to be excited about prayer. So we're going to be using the material um, from something called the Prayer Course, which has been written in the last few years. And it's a really brilliant course. It came out of the 24-7 prayer movement. And it basically will involve six Sunday sermons, kicking off next week, which Russ will be preaching at. And then in our house groups, and I'd really encourage you to uh, get in touch with me or Tish Mason if you'd like to join a house group to do this. Um, In our house groups, we're then going to be discussing what we learn in those sermons. And we've got loads of great material that the house groups will be using as well. So would you like to be part of this prayer course? It's happening uh, for six of the next seven weeks. We pause for Pentecost and it's going to be a great time as we seek to draw on the power of God through prayer. Then the second half of the term, we're going to actually learn what it is to use the gifts that God has given us as the people of God. I don't believe that the gifts of the church are the preserve of the clergy or the music team or even the prayer ministry team. It's actually all of us. 1 Corinthians 12 says we've all been gifted and the body needs to use all of the gifts of all of the people and together we can do extraordinary things. So we're going to look at spiritual gifts. We're going to look at what it means to be filled with the spirit at the end of the term as well. But actually... Being filled with the Spirit is also the starting point. I don't know whether you've read the Acts of the Apostles, the sequel to Luke's Gospel, in which he tells us the story about how God turned this small band of, of disciples hiding away in Jerusalem into a, at least a European, North African, South Asian church. In one generation, Acts tells us how he did it. But one of the features is they kept coming together to pray. And also one of the features is that um, basically they are described as being filled with the Spirit. 
Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 that we all need to be filled with the Spirit. But time and time again, they were filled with the Spirit. And that was what gave them the boldness, gave them the courage, gave them the wisdom, gave them the passion, gave them that radiance, gave them that sheer uh, belief that God could do extraordinary things. And as they were filled with the Spirit, they preached amazing sermons. They saw amazing evangelistic conversations. They withstood amazing persecution. They started churches in amazing circumstances. And they believed that God could take any apparent failure or setback and use it for good. That's what being filled with the Spirit looks like. And it's a state of being that is far more exciting, far more awe-inspiring, far more joy-giving than anything else. So, this is where I want to finish. Today, as we look ahead to this new term, as we draw to a close our term of thinking about our relationship with God and investing in it, are you up for being filled with the Spirit? Do you want that spirit filling you, empowering you, that Jesus said we should be clothed with so that you can play your part in the growth of the kingdom that is still happening today? The same God is at work in South America and Korea and Africa and China as is work today here. It's not a different God. We just need to get in the mindset that they're in over there. And we can do it. When people really live spirit-filled lives and believe that God can do extraordinary things, he does. Honestly, there are plenty of churches growing today, and we can be one of them. The prayerfulness, the giftedness, without a shadow of a doubt, is here. We're packed with it. Okay, so what we're going to do now, can I invite us all to um, stand? I just want us just to uh, take a moment just to prepare ourselves for what... God wants to do with us here today and and there's quite a number of people actually who we've approached to to see if they'll be willing and able just to pray for people Um, and a number of them are are, are up for doing that they're available today so if you're one of those can invite you just to sort of make your way uh, just to uh, the front here and we'll just be available to pray and there'll be more if necessary so we've got a big team here perhaps if the worship band could also just come up that would be great as well So what are we going to do here? What we're going to do is we're going to ask the Spirit to fill us. And there is a particular power that comes from being prayed for and prayed with by someone else. There's a a particular power that seems to come through that situation. It's very biblical. Um, And that's why we really encourage what we call prayer ministry um, to happen. Uh, When we open ourselves up to God, and I'd encourage you also to pray your own prayers as you do that, And someone alongside you prays into that. Extraordinary things can happen. Experiences of the Spirit that are really quite profound. So um, I'd encourage everyone of every age to take up that opportunity. Uh, However long it takes, we've got time. If you've got a child in the children's groups, maybe you might like to come first. Uh, Okay, so we're going to do that in a moment. But I think it's important uh, also that you know that if you would like healing prayer, Um, We've got teams at the back who are specifically trained to pray um, in twos for situations requiring healing, whether physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is. Do take that opportunity as well. Well, what we're going to do now is just take a moment just to invite God's Spirit to prompt us and to speak to us. And then I'm going to call us in whatever order you wish to, uh, just to come up and be prayed for, to be filled with the Spirit here this morning.
Okay, so let's spend a time now just opening ourselves up to God. You might want to open your hands out. You don't have to, but just as a way of symbolizing your openness to him. So, Father, would you come by your Holy Spirit now? Come, Holy Spirit. Father, would you pour your Spirit into every person here this morning? However far we feel away from you or however close we feel, however old or young, Come, Holy Spirit. And Father, now as we just wait on you for a moment, would you just start speaking to people's hearts about where they're at and what you're prompting them to? God's speaking to you right now. Just, just, just roll with it. Just, just listen. Just let him finish what he wants to say. And so, Father, I pray now as we have this really special opportunity to commission each other to walk by the Spirit, to enter this term,